Father, we do pray as the words of this song uh, that we have just sung uh, ring in our minds. Uh, we open Your Word and we ask that You would minister to us through Your Holy Spirit. Clear our minds of the things that would distract us and allow us to just focus on You, strengthening our walk with You and our witness for You. And we commit this time to You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll be continuing in Matthew chapter 11 this morning. And before I read the Scriptures that uh, are for this morning's message, I, I just uh, like to back up just a little bit. And even before, just going over a few things in the way of an introduction first. But also, uh, just, just put this as a side note for a moment. Think of the worst city that you've ever thought of, heard of, or know of in history. Don't, don't say anything. Just start to, you know, just put that in the back of your head as a, as a question. Fill in the blank. I just put it, the worst city is, you know, blank, okay? And, and just, yeah, it can be a biblical city. It can be whatever you want, but just, just tuck that away for a moment and, and, and hang on to it. The context of uh, what we're working through this morning is, is how people were responding to the ministry of Christ. And all of chapter 11 deals with that. We've seen John the Baptist, as, as BJ shared a couple of weeks ago, uh, very clearly with the idea of, of his doubt as to what was going on. He says, Jesus, are you the one? And people have had problems with that Scripture. And, and that was, you know, most of that was, the detail was shared with us already. But just a reminder that, you know, John the Baptist was expecting something more than Jesus in the sense of, of, of bringing healings and miracles and this type of thing. In fact, the, the Scripture that Jesus quoted to, to uh, well, actually several Scriptures possibly in that, but Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, where, where he was talking about the lame walk and the blind sea and all of this, there's a verse that Jesus didn't say to him and that in reference to justice was coming. And John the Baptist, was that was part of the picture for him as a prophet of the Old Testament in the sense of putting it all together was not just the, the, the coming of Christ and, and, and the healings and, and the ministry of the gospel, but also the justice. And it wasn't just the throwing out of the Romans, but bringing justice to the, to the Jewish people as well. To the Pharisees. You remember what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees when they came to him? You brood of vipers, who sent you here? How did you even know to come? You know, and, and so he saw this, this corruption all the way around. And now he's in prison and has been possibly for a year. And, and he's, he's hearing of these things that Jesus is doing, but he isn't hearing about the setting right the things that are wrong in the way of the synagogues, in the way of the Jewish teaching, this type of thing. And, and he wants to, he just says, Jesus, are you the one? And when Jesus gives those verses to, to, to John, I'm confident that he got the whole message. He, he, he knew what Jesus was saying. is says, this comes first, but don't worry. The rest will come. Is it all right to doubt? To wonder? To question sometimes what God is doing and when, we, when you don't see it understood? We talked about this the other night at, at uh, the, one of our foundation classes in reference to the idea of, of there are more psalms that deal with lamenting than there are psalms that deal with joy. We're real good at finding the psalms that deal with I am anyway, uh, but but you know lamenting, uh, saying Lord I don't get it what's going on when are you going to do something kind of like a little kid saying are we there yet and and you know everybody in here can relate to that either having been the little kid or having the little kids now uh, as we saw them all leave are we there yet you know. And, and some people who just took a long drive. <laughs> yeah. 
And you still do it, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so that idea of, of, of John having this and wrestling with it was not a bad thing, and it wasn't a lack of faith. Some people are so concerned about that that they say, well, the reason why John sent his disciples was for them, so they would hear Jesus say this. this. Their faith was, was needed building up. I think John the Baptist was wrestling with it. Just as David wrestled with it, just as Job wrestled with it, just as Jeremiah wrestled with it, just as Ezekiel wrestled with it. At times we have these points where we don't see what God is doing, we don't get it, we don't understand. It's okay. But the question is, is do you trust Jesus? Do you trust the God of all creation in His sovereignty that He's got it worked out? And the answer is when we sit back and we get a chance and we, we see the Scripture and He's saying, these things will work together. These are the things that God said was going to happen first and they are happening. He will bring the rest about in His perfect time. I feel that's where John was. And, and so we have John the Baptist. And, and then verses 7 through 19, we have a, a, a sense of, of, of kind of a, a passive response. And, and, and Levi covered that last week. And then today we have verses 20 through 24 where we're actually dealing with, with unrepentance. Uh, I want to pick up and, and, and look at just the last few verses of, of the, the previous section, verses 16 through 19. Uh, and, and just because I think they're foundational to where we're going with my verses this morning, starting with, with verse 20. So... Jesus has been, is, has been talking, uh, uh, he's, he's clearly made it understood that John the Baptist was the man that God had sent to prepare the way. He was more than just a prophet to prepare the way. He was, he was the man, if you would accept it, he said, in the spirit of Elijah. He's, he's, he was very specific, the one who would set straight the, the, the path, if you will, to prepare the way for the Messiah to be there. And he preached a very simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as people came to repent, they were baptized as a symbol of their desiring to be clean before God. And, and, but it was not... In fact, some people you know, say you know, we get baptized because Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. We get baptized. It's not the same. That was to fulfill all the Scripture and all the law. But, but the idea is, is that uh, what theirs was was just the idea of opening the heart to receive what God was bringing through Jesus Christ, preparing the way. And so uh, we pick up in verse 16. Uh, Jesus says, what shall we compare this generation? He's, he's thinking in terms of, of all the, the criticism that's already been going on. When he's done miracles, he's been criticized. He's been called demonic. John the Baptist, is, as we'll see in a minute, was, was possibly looked at by, by the leaders as demonic because of his uh, austere lifestyle, his, his hermit style of life, if you will. And... and the way he came dressed and the, and the foods that he ate. And, and so he's looking at him and saying, you don't seem to be getting it. To what am I going to compare this generation? And then he, it's an interesting thing that he does. He says it's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. And you look at that and, and uh, I... I uh, was reflecting on some things that, that uh, uh, John MacArthur wrote about this, and he went into a lot of detail about games that kids played that we wouldn't necessarily relate to today. But marriage was a big thing, and it was a, a community celebration, and the kids had things that they acted out in play that were parallel to that. And, and so the idea was that the kids got together, you know, we were, we were playing the, 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 the flute for you, and, and they're supposed to be dancing and gaiety, and instead we got John the Baptist. You know, uh, we, we, we didn't get anybody who wanted to, you know, to participate. And then when, when we played the dirge that might be more reflective of John the Baptist, a, a funeral type of thing, you know, we got Jesus. 
And that's because, and the reason why I go with that is it's a simple comparison for me at least because the next two verses say, John came neither eating nor drinking and saying here he has a demon. In other words, he came doing this and this is what she said about him. And then the Son of Man comes eating and drinking and they say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by their deeds. Now he's already established John and he's looking at himself as well what I want you to see here is is that I feel it was like Jesus was saying no matter what we did you were going to find fault what can I say about this generation no you know you're you're fault finders you're not interested in the light in the truth you're 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 more interested in 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 maintaining something and saying this is, this is the way it is, and what you're bringing is different, and we won't have anything to do with it. And, and so, uh, and, and, and you, you look at the, the, that picture of, of John the Baptist there, uh, and, and uh, you know, he's, he's uh, uh, a person that, that, that was, you know, dressed in a camel's uh, hair clothing. He was, uh, he was, uh, uh, ate locusts and honey. <laughs> uh, has anybody ever in here had uh, the large Mediterranean locusts uh, cooked in, 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 or roasted in the sunlight uh, in, in honey? I, when I was in Bible college, we had a missions class, and there was, I, Kathy remembers, <laughs> she's going all like this already. You know, there was about you know, 25 different mission groups represented, and they had traditional foods, and one of them was and we had to go around and and I can't remember the number. Like we had to taste at least eight to ten of them and write what we, you know. And I, and all I could think of was was uh, a, a a person who acted out uh, John uh, uh, at Patmos and and talking about how locusts got caught in his teeth. You know, oh, those little feet get in there. You know, you know. <laughs> but they weren't bad. I didn't go back for seconds. Um, the fisheye soup in another booth was worse. Uh, so, uh, you know, but, but John the Baptist was, what, what it was, was he was an, uh, representing a, a desert nomadic lifestyle and he was coming from the wilderness, again, fulfilling prophecy, coming from the wilderness to be the prophet that fills, you know, prepares the way. And he stood out and the people came to him. They heard him and they listened to him. But then they walked away and nothing stuck, it appears. And even some, apparently, said he had a demon, which was something they had said about Jesus as well. Jesus comes, and the first thing they start to see is that he hangs around with the common people. And that's really the issue here. You see, the Pharisees, anybody that wasn't a Pharisee was lower than them, Therefore, they were the sinners. If you're not, a, if you're not, you weren't as good as me. And so, if Jesus hung out with anything but the Pharisees, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, you were hanging out with sinners. But he was also hanging out with, and he was hanging out with tax collectors, which were, as far as the Jews were concerned, the scum of the earth. They were tra- tra- traitors because they were Jewish men who were collecting the Roman taxes. And some of them doing it above and beyond the call of duty, which they were allowed to do, and lining their pockets quite well. And so they called, and I know this sounds, I want you to be so careful as you hear this, uh, the, the way it hit me, was that they were basically saying Jesus is a party animal. He just wants to go and hang with the gluttons and the drunkards and, and party up. That was what they really kind of were basically accusing him of. It's interesting that John and, and Jesus had the same message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But they had different ministries. John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Messiah... Jesus was declaring the way of the Messiah. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus would say in the last 
night at the meal he shared with his disciples. Now, by the way, don't forget the worst city. Keep that in the back of your mind. Today's text starts with verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Jesus denounces, rebukes these three cities. They were the only cities that were in this triangle of, uh, that the, the forms uh, here. The idea was he's been preaching, he's been doing these miracles, and you're not responding. And, and, and it's kind of like this indifference or unrepentance that he's looking at. And I was thinking, you know, making a list of all these works that he had done. But as I was looking at that, uh, you know, well, the, the, the mighty works that he had done. You can go back to starting with chapter 8, but he cleansed a leper. Okay? He, he healed the centurion's servant. Peter's mother-in-law. And then that evening, people came demon-possessed and, and sick, and he, and he delivered them all and healed them all. This was, by the way, in Capernaum. He calmed the storm. He cleansed the Gesserine demoniacs, the legions of demons that were in the two men that jumped into the pigs and the pigs jumped off the cliff. The paralytic that was brought down through the roof, he first forgave him of his sins and then he told him to pick up his bed and walk. And he did. And he ran into flack with that one as well. He healed the synagogue ruler's daughter. He didn't just heal her. He raised her from the dead. People, some think, think that she just was in a, you know, like a coma or something and they just assumed she was dead. They were wailing the death wail and, uh, for her. And, and uh, it was clear that she was more, the, the word asleep was referring to she is gone. He raised her from the dead. In the same series of scriptures, he healed the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. had a problem with the issue of blood for 12 years and, and no one could help her. Two blind men. It just, these were just the ones listed. And I, was, I was looking at this and it was, he was saying, you know, these are the mighty works that were done in your, in your cities. And I thought, you know, is this all of them? Well, no, you can look in other Gospels and, 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 you, can, and you can see that there were other miracles that he had done as well. And then you start and you realize that there are others that are just not even recorded. And that takes you to John, what John writes, the very last verse of the Gospel of John. Now, there were also many other things Jesus did where every one of, their, uh, it, uh, were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus had poured his heart, if you will, and, and, and into this ministry. And it wasn't just that. The teaching, the Sermon on the Mount happened right in the midst of this. Not too far from Chorazin. And it, you know, it's an interesting side note and I, is that all three of these cities are dead cities in ruins. They're the archaeological sites, but that's it. Why the rebuke? Why was Jesus upset with them? It says clearly, 
They did not repent. They didn't change. They didn't change their ways. They went right on doing everything the same. They said, oh, amazing teaching. Oh, amazing this. Oh, amazing that. But life is normal. Life is usual. They did not repent. They didn't see the need to repent. They were Abraham's children. This is extremely important for us to understand. They were Abraham's children. That's how they connected themselves to being okay with God no matter what. Was that they were of the seed of Abraham. They could say, Father Abraham, we're Jewish and we're right with God because of Father Abraham. They didn't see the need. They could see, by the way, all around them, the cities that were not Jewish cities, uh, especially if you get into Galilee, not too far. In fact, Tyre and Sidon would be examples of, of, of cities that were Gentile cities. Uh, the, the, the Phoenicians, the, the, those who, who, who sailed the Mediterranean and, and were great sea traders, and they had two great seaports, Sidon and, and, and Tyre. And uh, they were typical port cities. I don't know... And, I, and I'm cautious when I say this, especially this close to Veterans Day. Uh, but if you've ever been in a port city when ships have anchored, <laughs> it's a different place. <laughs> uh, the, the streets are full of, of, of people from, and, and I was thinking of San Francisco where my grandmother lived. You know, you'd go down and there was, there was military vessels and other vessels, merchant vessels, from all over the world going into San Francisco Harbor every day. And when those guys got onto land, they were they were a little bit rowdy, and 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 uh, they knew the were the places that that, that they were welcome, <laughs> if you will, so they could be rowdy. And thanks to my grandmother, I knew where not to go, uh, in, in in this type of thing. But the idea was is that they they bring an atmosphere, uh, they bring different culture, they bring a whole lot of different ideas and things with them, and and they become a very metropolitan. And very accepting community. By the way, Tyre and Sidon both worshipped Baal. They were they were pagan idolists. They, they, uh, and so when the Jews would look at them, they we're children of Abraham. They're dead. They're sinners. They're Gentiles. And and so they took pr- great pride in who they were. And as a result, they didn't see the need to be anything what they were different. And so they were pretty much indifferent and unrepentant. Even though they were interested in what Jesus was doing and received, many of them received the the, the miracles that he did. Now, obviously, we know some whose lives were radically changed. Certainly the uh, disciples who came out of this area. But when Jesus says to them, woe to you, I put in here, woe, but what comes next? And I realized that I was using a diff- that it's a different woe. Uh, but, you know, woe to you. He's talking about judgment. There's a judgment coming. And, and, and it's not, how do you explain it? Um, it? It's not like something that is is that Jesus is excited about doing. I want you to be sure that you, know, you, you, you grasp it. There, there's a pain that's involved with this. Um, there's a sense of lament and mourning. Uh, one person described it as a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. And it immediately made me think of Luke 19 where Jesus is riding in over Jerusalem and He looks at them and He says, Oh my, you know, and he wept, he cried over them because of the reality that they were going to reject him and ultimately it was going to lead to a woe on them as well. And 70 AD was a catastrophic destruction of Jerusalem. And I, I won't even go into the details of, of, of the horrendous things that happened there. Uh, 
but you can read Josephus and 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 uh, find out that the, that it was just unbelievable destruction and the siege of of Jerusalem that caused people in, to go into starvation and go into extremes uh, to survive, and the. Jesus sees all of this, so in that sense, it, he sees the, the, this idea of sadness that comes with this idea of judgment. And uh, it comes back to, uh, you know, the, uh, well, I guess maybe there needs to be a, a kind of a side note interjected here. Uh, to understand Jesus' love, mercy, and grace, we need to understand his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice, and, and, and the idea that he is to bring judgment against sin. Uh, Psalm chapter 9 is, is, uh, talks about judgment in reference to Verses 7 and 8. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. And He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. When God judges, He doesn't judge like a Babylonian king judged out of, out of uh, desire to, uh, to conquer and to, and to put in submission. He judges because there has been sin and it requires from His holiness that He deal with it. And so, when we, we look at this, and this is just that part of God we don't want to talk about. His holiness that requires that sin be judged. But if we don't talk about it, we'll never really grasp the awesomeness of the cross. God thinks different than we do. He, he's over our head. I don't know how else to put it. I, I, Isaiah 55, verse 8, talks about that my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. What I do is beyond you. The Scripture that we had for our Scripture reading this morning, God says again, He says, what, what's foolishness to the world, to man... Is, is wisdom from me. The cross is wisdom from God. It's foolishness to man. And when he says the cross, it means all that surrounds it. The death, burial, and resurrection. And every time I think that Paul got to the resurrection when he was talking with Gentiles, there was probably a few, not a, no small number of people that were saying, oh, okay. Yeah. In fact, when I was in college and we were going through religion classes, as soon as we got to talking about resurrection, we were talking as far as, as the class was concerned and as far as the instructor was concerned uh, in, in world religions, we, we were talking about mythology. I mean, who comes back from the dead? Jesus. And so the world looks at it and says, that's a stumbling block. How do you get past it? And there's, again, no small number. Uh, Josh McDowell is probably one of the more paramount people coming out of the time that I was coming into, into the, uh, the church that was writing about it. He started out trying to disprove the resurrection from a legal standpoint. In other words, if you took all the evidence that you could gather together and went into a courtroom, it, it, he was thinking he was going to come out with dismiss, not enough evidence to have a verdict of the resurrection happened. And he ends up writing the, 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 the first uh, one of his books was Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And the evidence was so overwhelming that the, 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 the resurrection happened that he became a Christian. But he started out trying to prove it as foolishness. You see, what I'm trying to establish here is that we just don't fully comprehend. We are in our human minds, if you will, 
and we are finite. And we will always be seeking, I, I believe this with all my heart, we will always be seeking to know the mind of God for eternity. We will never fully know Him because He is eternal and we are not. He is omniscient. We are not and never will be. He is all-powerful. We are not. We never will be. I believe that, that, that eternity is going to be the constant quest of knowing God and being ever amazed at what we discover. After 10,000 days, 10,000 weeks, 10,000 years, it will be like a, it's still all coming fresh. My uh, teacher and friend, George Alder, said, you know, he says, no wonder every time they were turning around, they were falling on their knees to worship him. So, understand that, 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 that God in his, 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 in his holiness, which is something beyond that we can... You know, Jeremiah says that, that, that our hearts are deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Or exceedingly evil. Desperately sick. And even as believers, as God comes in and begins to change that, we still think in the flesh. If we didn't, we wouldn't have sin anymore in our lives. But we do. Why? Because we still want to comfort the flesh. We still want. We still sit here and we try to rationalize, you know, different things within the framework of our thinking. The same thing with people looking at 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 John the Baptist, maybe having some doubts. No, it wasn't him that doubted. It was his disciples that doubted. And, you know, trying to explain it away. It's not something we can explain away. The reality is that God is going to bring judgment against sin and that He must do that. Or He is not the holy God of all creation. He is not the omnipotent, sovereign God of all creation. He must do this. But in the midst of it, John 3.16 appears. God so loves that He gives his only Son, that whoever would receive Him and rest in His grace will have what? Everlasting life. How does that work? That's what Jesus was trying to get through. There's, a, there's, there's two sides to this. There's God's justice. And that's all the Jews wanted to see, most of them. They wanted to see the Romans defeated, the, the, everything kicked out, and the kingdom of Solomon restored, and, 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 and that was justice in their mind. They had no idea that, that, that they were the ones needing to be taken care of first. That's why Jesus sent His disciples to them first. Was you, are the, you are as needy as anyone else in reference to sin. You need My grace as much as anyone else needs it. I wrote here just for myself in my notes. I said, you know, you know, no one is judged beyond what they deserve. No one is judged beyond what they deserve. But those that are judged through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, they are justified in Christ and actually get justice they don't deserve, if you will. They get the justice through Christ and His righteousness. Paid in full, it is finished on the cross. So Chorison and Bethsaida, you know, it's, it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. you, you, you this is something as they hear these words... They're cringing. You can't, you can't imagine. It's like they're, they're, they're ready to rent their clothing. They're, ready, they're grinding their teeth. They're angry. This is something that, that they know who the tire inside. It's not that far from them. Look on the map where, where uh, the north part of Galilee where Capernaum and Bethsaida and, 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 and uh, Chorson in the middle, uh, you know, about two and a half miles up from, from uh, uh, Capernaum. Is is where they are. They're they're not that far from the sea coast, really. It's it's not so far away. They would have nothing to do with it. They would never go there. 
it's not a place, you know, they wouldn't have anything to do with those people. But, but you know, they want those people judged. That's what they were waiting for. Those are the sinners. They need to be judged. We are the children of Abraham. But Jesus was saying, you need to repent too. What was the message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the way, something that I don't have time to even get into here. But if this term more bearable is, is, is accurate, then it implies degrees or levels of judgment. There might be harsher judgment for some than for others. And I can hear these people saying, what? Wait, wait, wait a minute. We're the children of Abraham. And we're worse? We're going to be judged harsher? Like I said, side note, both, both these cities and, and, and Capernaum are archaeological sites. They're not living cities. But that's not the judgment that Jesus is talking about. Jesus, are you saying we deserve harsher Judgment. That's exactly what he's saying. And he's not just saying it to them, he's saying it to Capernaum too. Because he does go on, he says, you're thinking you're going to be exalted to heaven, but you're going to be cast down to Hades. And then again, he uses a comparison. Sodom is better off than you on Judgment Day. Now, when we did the city thing, I read somebody's, well, it was Ray Pritchard that, that, that started off as, you know, what's, what's, what cities would you consider the worst cities of history? And I have to confess, my first city was Sodom. And my geographical area was the Valley of Zor, where four out of the five cities were destroyed with brimstone and fire from the sky for their sins. And all of a sudden, I'm realizing that Capernaum, the last I would never have considered putting that on the list. I, I've read I've read this a lot of times, but I obviously haven't given it a lot of thought. I would never have put them on the list of, of undesirable places. Again, I can hear them saying. But but I or but we didn't do anything. Was their sins unrepentance? They are not seeing their need for God's grace. They chose to do nothing, basically, with the words and the mighty works that had been preached and done around them. You'd have to say that they, they brought the woes upon themselves. I want to take you to John 3.16. I mean, we, we're, we're always familiar with the, you know, this one because we see it constantly. I, I knew this verse before I was ever saved because I'd seen it at a baseball game. Uh, I had seen it on, uh, at football games. Uh, I'd seen it on television at all sorts of sporting events. So I knew there, this verse was out there, and, and it's one of those verses that you kind of know, not necessarily by heart, but it has something to do with, with God and Jesus and, 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 and this type of thing. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And yet here we have Him, in the sense, seeing condemnation. He's saying, woe unto you. Keep in mind that idea that woe is a sense of lament, a sadness. Whoever believes in Him 
is not condemned. But, listen carefully, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. How did they get condemned? By not believing. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest the works should be exposed. And this is Jew, Greek, Gentile, slave, it doesn't matter who. We're all in this category. Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Their sins, their lack of repentance, their refusal to see the need to repent after John the Baptist had brought the message, after Jesus had brought the message, their lack of repentance was their choice. They refused the light of the world who is the Word of God who had become flesh. Yeah, we'll read it. I was just a little phrase. They're actually getting what they deserve. But we have to be very careful when we say that. Because that was the way they felt about Sidon and Tyre and Sodom and Gomorrah. They got and or are going to get what they deserve. We have to put it in the category that the only reason that we are on the other side of this is because we're not getting what we deserve. It's got to be grounded in here. You've got to see the judgment of Christ and the necessity for it against sin and that it has to be purged and, and, and the new heaven and a new earth with no shadow of darkness at all is because sin will be gone forever, but it has to be judged and cast away. And as a result, all that enjoy the grace of God, the work of the Son at the cross, are getting what they didn't deserve. Not because we earned it. In fact, it's even, even in Ephesians, it's even called the free gift of God, the, the very act of the grace and seeing it was a gift of God and God working in us. I was thinking, just for trying to bring this to a, some kind of a conclusion, these are, like I said, scriptures that you really don't want. And so it's amazing, there's a number of, 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 of commentaries that just kind of give this a brief little poop and don't want to deal with it, you know. Um, but the reality is, is that, that it's here. It's, it's what is true, and we have to see a phrase that I cautiously use that comes out of Revelation, the wrath of the Lamb. That's almost a paradox by itself. not because he gets joy out of bringing the judgment, but it is a necessity of a holy God to bring judgment. But how does the light get in? God draws our heart. He opens our minds so that we can see. And the first thing that we normally catch a glimpse of is His holiness. Which automatically gives us a picture of our sinfulness. As you begin to just even see glimpses of God's holiness, you realize, oh my goodness, I'm not worthy. I'm a man of unclean words and lips. Isaiah. You realize that, that, that you have no right <laughs> to approach His throne. 
Holy Spirit steps in and brings about a conviction in us that we realize we are helplessly, hopelessly lost. There is no hope. There is nothing we can bring to the altar that's not tainted by our very touch of it. We're in serious trouble. We're right in there with Chorazin and Capernaum, and you know we, you know, we are. It's helpless. It's hopeless. What do we do? Accept through Jesus Christ. There's the hope. Jesus Christ through the cross. The book of Romans. Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already uh, charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They, they, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of, of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the condition that we're in without Christ. And it's no it's no there's no exception to this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, the law was there to teach us what sin is so that we would know to repent. It wasn't there to save us. It was there to teach us how to be saved, that we needed to be saved. Paul goes on and writes, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, a peace offering to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, what He was basically saying is, I can't receive you unless your sins are paid for. And all of the pictures of the the laying of sins over and over and over until the cross have have waited for this time for the cross to cover it for all of that in faith waiting for the Messiah. And as a result, if I don't do this, it will never be done and there will never be an opportunity for, for, for salvation because you deserve this. But I will take it upon myself. I will put it on my shoulders. I will become sin for even though I knew no sin that you might be saved. Thus, God is just. He has paid the the price of of sin, even for those who are saved, has been paid in full. Nothing left out. What Jesus did on the cross. His words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The picture of 
of the, of the weight of that sin. And then finally came the words, it is finished. There will be a judgment. And it's going to be based on what you did with Jesus. With the light of the world, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Why? Because Jesus has been condemned for us. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. You have judged yourself, basically. Because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. How does the light cut it in? God opens our eyes to it. As He opens our eyes to it. We see His holiness. We also see our sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. And shows us the grapes of the cross. The work of Christ. We celebrate that every Sunday when we do communion together. Communion should carry the weight of seeing and knowing the judgment of God on sin every time we take it. Not because we're under that judgment, but because we are no longer under that judgment, but Jesus bore it for us. There would have been no need for the blood. There would have been no need for Him coming in the flesh. He did this to bring about our salvation. He emptied Himself, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, and became man, servant of man, even to the point of death on the cross, that we might be able to come into the light of salvation and out from underneath condemnation. So that the words in Romans 8 would be true for all of us who believe in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ask the ushers to come and uh, pass the emblems out. Hold them until we've all been served and we'll share it together. like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh, how He loves us so, oh, how He loves us, how He loves us so.
jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of this wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how He loves us so. Oh, how He loves us. How He loves us so. And He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves us Oh, how He loves And we are His portion And He is our prize Drawn to redemption By the grace in His eyes If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. So heaven meets the like an unforeseen kiss, and my heart it turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves and He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He to that song is a whole nother series of messages. But the idea that God is jealous for us. Another word that goes with in that word is the idea of zealous for us. When you're zealous for something, you'll do everything there is to, to, to bring it to you. And then you're jealous for it, meaning that you protect it with all that you have. It's not the jealousy that we think of green rage, you know, whatever that. You know, it's it's a it's this I am zealous for you and I've done all that I can to bring you to me. Now I will do all I can to keep you with me. That's our God. He goes as far as to say that once we rest in him, he says there's nothing in the world that can separate us from his love. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came in the flesh. He allowed His flesh to be torn for us. And when it says broken, He means you know, the idea of, of, of destroyed uh, in the sense of, of on the cross, to die, to cease to live. He allowed it to be broken for us. And so at the, the supper that He shared with His disciples, He took the bread and, and gave thanks and He broke it as a symbolism of His giving His flesh. And He asked that as often as we would share this memorial, that we would do it in remembrance of Him. In order for the flesh to be dead, the blood had to be gone. You see, the life is in the blood. And so he said, this cup represents the fact that I do die. The blood is poured out on the cross to purchase the covenant of grace. He asked us as often as we would drink this cup that we would do it in remembrance of Him until He comes again. And that means to say, thank You, Lord Jesus, for bearing my condemnation and pouring out Your blood so that I don't have to. Thank you. Because if I had to, it wouldn't be enough. And 
I would be dead in my sins. Thank you for life. Share that. Father, once again we come this morning to say thank You. To recognize how much You love us. For God so loved the world that He gave. Thank You for life. Thank You for opening our eyes to it. Thank You for for the gift of grace. Thank You for letting us rest in that grace. Thank You for no condemnation now that we are in that grace. And thank You that we can rest with confidence in it that nothing can separate us from it. Lord, we come not only to worship You, but to say thank You. And as we go, we ask, Lord, that You would cause us to be people that show our repentance, meaning that we are a changed people. We're not like the people around us. Not because we're perfect, but because we rest in You and what You've done. And by faith, we have received Your mercy, Your grace, Your love. Thank You that You're jealous for us, Lord. And that Your zeal was revealed on the cross to cover us. Thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? We've got some refreshments in the back if you have time to visit for a little while. And uh, Lord bless you. Thank you for being here this morning.